You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back on the Oz Network for a very special one-off episode, one-off tribute to one of Hollywood's all-time greats, one of the original iconic movie stars uh, from long before I was born, but uh, still somebody that I'm noticing more and more over the last couple of uh, days uh, everybody has familiarity with, even if most of it is from Saturday Night Live. Everybody knows who this man is. We're talking about uh, the dearly departed Burt Reynolds, um, the man, the myth, the mustache. Uh, this, this guy's a legend, and uh, we... Similar, I guess, uh, when uh, Roger Moore died, Ben and I did a tribute episode on that, and then when George Romero died last year, we did uh, the Night of Living Dead movies. Just wanted to do a one-off tribute episode here, mo- mostly on uh, Smokey and the Band is what we're going to be covering, but also uh, the legacy of Burt Reynolds. Uh, let's just uh, start it off here. My name is Colin, and I just went 10-100. And I'm Billy Garcia, and when I get home, I'm going to punch your mama dead in the mouth. <laughs> You know, I asked Billy, too, right before we started. I'm like, do you got a quote for this? Because we usually start with a quote, and you're like, there is no shortage of quotes here. (laughs) Yeah, thanks to Jackie Gleason, I have a lot of new lines that I'm going to be spewing out for the next several months. It's so funny, because like you you told me, well, I I think I asked you, um, the first thought was, let's get Ben on an episode. Neither Ben and I have ever seen this movie before. He's traveling. He's actually going to be headed here this weekend, but... uh, uh, no way he was going to be able to do this. And I'm like, well, let me get Billy. Billy's a, a movie guy. He's probably seen Smokey and the Bandit. Or And I asked you, you know, uh, what Burt Reynolds movies have you seen? You said Smokey and the Bandit, Cannibal Run. I'm like, okay, I've never seen Smokey and the Bandit. I wasn't 100% sure what I was going to get out of this. But you're 100% right. Like, this movie is a quote machine. And yes. just perfect evidence of that. Like, right before, you know, 10 minutes before we started here, I'm trying, trying very hard to change my son's diaper. And uh, he's squirming all over the place. I'm like, quiet. <laughs> you just did a 10-200 on here. <laughs> like, there's so many memorable quotes in this movie. And, like, I was not 100% sure, like, is this a movie for the time? So it's not like people nowadays are rediscovering this the way they do Star Wars or Close Encounters or even, like, Grease, other movies of, like, the late 70s here. So I thought this is probably going to be one of those kind of dated movies. It has this fun quality about I'm like, this movie is a blast. You know, somebody who has never seen this before, who wasn't alive when it came out, uh, the movie's just an absolute blast. Uh, you have seen it before. Like, what are your just uh, initial impressions before we get into a little bit more on Burt Reynolds and why we're doing this? Uh, well, the first time I saw it, I was a kid, and... There was so much cursing that I felt like I got to see a naughty movie. Like I, to, like I was watching something I wasn't supposed to be watching. But it was so hilarious. Uh, it wasn't like cursing for the sake of cursing. Like There was a point to it. They, the insults on there. Now, as a New Yorker, I could really appreciate the insults in this movie. Holy crap. This, this set the bar for insults. Um, and as for as for this movie's lasting legacy Pontiac actually a couple of years ago released uh, a reissue of the Trans Am used in this movie and they they renamed it the uh, Bandit Edition Trans Am so it's it's still like people still know the car and they still love love this car so uh, and I was lucky enough to own a Trans Am in high school and (laughs) it was because of this movie 
You know, I uh, like I said, I've never seen this movie. It was you know, a couple years before I was born. Uh, but my familiar with the Trans Am comes from Knight Rider, which came a couple years after this, I guess. Uh, so yeah. it, it, one thing is funny about like the fact that you mentioned like the legacy of this movie, how much of the car has to do with that. Uh, just in going back and doing research, I sort of thought, you know, this was the beginning of the whole car chase, you know, let's yeah. screw with the police just for the fun of it genre that became <laughs> so popular after this, like we saw with Dukes of Hazard would come a few years later and everything else. Uh, it really did start, I guess, prior to this. I mean, Burt Reynolds himself had done other movies similar to this, like Gator. But uh, the popularity of this, and I guess specifically with the car, everything that followed this just became whatever movie you have, the car has got to be iconic. And it got to the point where obviously you have like Dukes of Hazard, then you had Knight Rider. And then you get into the movies that shouldn't necessarily be about a car, like Ghostbusters, Back to the Future. <laughs> I mean, everything for 10 years after this, if there's a car in the movie, the car is going to be iconic. The car is going to have models. It's going to have toys. It's going to have replicas. They're, they're, they're going to have it at car shows. I mean, it, it, this this spawned a whole genre to follow. No question. And uh, just a bit of trivia. Um, this movie actually grossed $300 million. It was uh, the budget began at $5.3 million. And then just when the, the production was about to start, the, the, the studio cut the budget by $1 million. Mm-hmm. It took away a million dollars. So uh, and Burt Reynolds was making a million dollars, so they really only had three point three million to make this, and they made three hundred million for nineteen seventy seven. That's like almost a billion dollars uh, yeah. gross. So, uh, but of course, it was nineteen seventy seven when Star Wars came out. So that's probably why uh, we don't we don't hear about uh, <laughs> this movie as much as we should. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, first of all, it's crazy to think that. I mean, worldwide, I think. Close Encounters of the Third Kind made a little more, but domestically, like Canada, United States, next to Star Wars, this was the highest grossing movie of 1977. It's crazy to think that if Star Wars had never come out, Smokey and the Bandit would have been the biggest movie that year, and I think no matter what year it is, the number one movie always like lives on forever. I mean, you can look at 1978, you know, I mentioned Greece. Uh, you go into 79, you get movies like Alien, and then Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T., uh, Ghostbusters, Back to the Future. Like, it goes on and on and on. So, obviously, Star Wars probably did take some business away from those. The other crazy thing to think is, like, $300 million. What would this movie have done if Star Wars wasn't competing with it? I mean, <laughs> this thing made a 100 times its budget back. If there was no Star yes. Wars, like, it, it, this would have been, like, the, the best return on investment in Hollywood history. I agree completely. Um, yeah, uh, and, 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 it, and it gets even better because the story of this is that it really didn't have much in the way of a script. The script was written on yellow padded paper, you know, the, the kind that used notepads. It was written on yellow notepad paper, and the majority of Gla- Jackie Gleason's lines were improvised. There was very little of it that was just, in fact, there's only really one line that Burt Reynolds gone on record saying that was in the script for, for uh, Jackie Gleason, and that was the, the phrase, some bitch. Because <laughs> his, his, Burt Reynolds' father knew a guy that kind of fit the, the kind of was the character, what the character Buford T. Justice was based on. Mm. And he would say the, the phrase, some bitch. So Burt Reynolds insisted on that being in the movie. And that was like the only line that was ever written for Jackie Gleason in this movie. So that just shows like 
how this movie should have been a car wreck, just like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it should have looked like uh, Sheriff Buford's car, you know? <laughs> but somehow it was just—it was magic. It was—it's a once in a once in a forever movie. And I mean, the director Hal Needham here, just looking up some of his history. I mean, he started as a stuntman, and that kind of explains this movie, which is probably more than fifty percent just driving scenes. Uh, but it is all the the dialogue you said that that even at, like if Jackie Gleason's is improvised, even the ones that are probably scripted, like so much of the the back and forth between Burt Reynolds and Sally Field in this movie, yeah, that feels so different. Like the thing that struck me more than anything else was how great the dialogue was. I was watching this movie, uh, and uh, as soon as it was finished, my wife asked me, "Is that movie even any good?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's a pretty good movie." I'm like, "The dialogue's fantastic in this movie," and it's not like. You know, Quentin Tarantino, you know, dialogue or anything like that. It's just every line is so memorable and everybody speaks in a way where it's like, I've never heard somebody talk like that before. Like, it feels so authentic. <laughs> like you said, with the insults and all that, like things you wouldn't necessarily see in a movie. And there were lines of dialogue in this movie where I'm trying to write down the quote and I'm like, wait, I got to pause. I got to go back. I got to get the whole thing in there. And then there's lines of dialogue where I'm like, I'm not even entirely sure what that means, but I love hearing it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, in that era, there was a lot of movies that had like CB talk in it because it was the the fad of that mm. era. Uh, Chuck Norris's Breaker Breaker comes to mind right off the top of my head. Um, but uh, that was probably the one movie where that all that stuff actually worked, where they would say, uh, like you said, a uh, ten one hundred, and and it was funny. Um, <sighs> <laughs> the, all the all the taglines like uh, I got your tail here, Smokey Bear, whatever. I mm -hmm. can't even repeat it because it, <laughs> but uh, it, it worked, and it uh, it's just I don't know. They caught lightning in a bottle. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the only way I can explain it. Um, uh, and, and and for the record, for the plot, oh my gosh, this had to be the plot is basically a beer run. That's yeah. It. <laughs> It's a beer run. <laughs> like the first, we'll get into it in a minute. But like the first five minutes of this movie, I'm like, is there more to it than this? I'm like, they need to pick up a trailer full of beer and transport it across a couple of states. <laughs> what else are they gonna go with here? But like the movie's just like a lightning speed, and there's something new happening every minute. It's not just the action; like it's the dialogue, it's the humor, it's the the chemistry between all the actors. Like some of like lightning in a bottle is the perfect way to explain it because I didn't expect. Well, I expected to enjoy this movie. I didn't expect to love this movie. Like, this movie is yeah. fantastic. This is something I want to watch again. Um, we'll get into it in a second here, just you know, going blow by blow through this. But uh, just before we do, Burt Reynolds, um, you mentioned you saw this when you were a kid. I, you probably didn't have much familiarity with Burt Reynolds prior to this. No, I didn't. Uh, my, my, uh, my, my neighbor, who, is where, who I saw it with, knew who Burt Reynolds was, which is why we were watching it. But I was just a kid who uh, who saw the, the 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 movie poster of it with the Trans Am, and it was a Trans Am. That was it. Yeah. That was, that's all I cared about. <laughs> oh, there's a car in this. Look at the car. It's so cool. <laughs> so we sat there, and oh my god, it was so good. It was it was better. You know, as a kid, the popcorn's always better than the movie. Yeah. Not this time. <laughs> Not this time. <laughs> the movie was better than the popcorn. So was this something you saw when it originally was released, or was it a couple years later? Uh, back then, movies would stay in the movie in the theaters for years. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was released in '77. I think I saw it 
It's 79 or 80. Mm-hmm. And it was in the theaters. Yeah, I mean, pre-VHS, <laughs> that's what they would do. You'd re-release a movie every year or two. Yes, exactly, yeah. I saw Star Wars, even though I was alive to see Star Wars on the year it was released, I saw it the very next year uh, with Spanish subtitles. <laughs> Don't let me get into this. <laughs> 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 I'd love to see how the Spanish subtitles explain the force. That would be great. <laughs> oh, the opening crawl was brutal. My Spanish was terrible at the time. <laughs> um, it would also be great to see what Spanish subtitles would do to this movie. I mean, the, oh, it's very goodness. much a Southern movie. Like, there's a Southern way of speaking. Yeah. There's a Southern way of doing things. And I guess that's the other legacy of this movie is just popularizing Southern culture, which it had been done prior to this. I mean... For me, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge James Bond fan. You can listen to Double Oz Seven hosted by myself, Ben Waterworth, Noah <laughs> Groves. Uh, we covered like uh, not Diamonds Are for Live and Let Die, which you know brought in uh, the Southern Sheriff and everything, and that, that was prior to this. Um, and then I guess Burt Reynolds had made some other movies after this. You know, my exposure to Burt Reynolds, I mean, it it came very late in life. Uh, he, I, by the time I think I was aware of TV shows and movies that were out there, his career had already started to wind down. And funny enough, my first memory of him, and you as a wrestling fan, you'll appreciate this, Billy, uh, was when he, I think was the special guest ring announcer for the main event of WrestleMania 10. <laughs> so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, he came out and I'm like, who's this guy? My mom's explaining, oh, he used to be a big movie star or whatever back in the day. Um, but then the first thing I really saw him in was Boogie Nights, which, you know, oh. completely revived his career for a new generation and, you know, got him yes. his first Oscar nomination and all that. Uh, but then it was so much just like the Saturday Night Live and everything. So I don't think I've really seen a lot of his older movies. Um, you know, I saw Mystery Alaska with him and Russell Crowe. Uh, I did see Cannonball Run when I was a kid, too. I think that was the one where my mom said, oh, yeah, remember that one where they're racing across the country? Uh, but I mean, this was definitely a first for me just, uh, seeing this here, uh, was Burt Reynolds an actor that you kept up on, you know, post this, did you see his other movies, whether it be bad, good or terrible? Yeah, I did stay up on Burt Reynolds. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to admit something right here that is going to make me sound real stupid. <laughs> I caught a glimpse. I caught a glimpse of a of a trailer of a recent movie called Kingsman the uh the Golden Circle. Oh yeah. And there was a character in this movie uh that was a dead ringer for Burt Reynolds and like an idiot I thought it was him. I was like, <laughs> "Oh shit, he, he's going to be in it." Nah, that's it. Now nah, I got to go see the movie. Of course it wasn't him. But he was a de- he was playing Burt Reynolds playing the character is basically what he was doing. <laughs> this, this guy. <laughs> So now you got to see the movie if you haven't seen it. I've got it on my PVR. I'm ready to watch it whenever. <laughs> yes, you'll see what I mean. He's playing. It's a, it's 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 an actor playing Burt Reynolds playing the character. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's how iconic the Burt Reynolds look is. That it's basically it's, it's basically now a, a a character in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And he's playing Burt Reynolds in this movie. Like, again, I have enough familiarity with him now that I can recognize, like, even there are little things he does in this movie. I'm like, that's, they do that in the Saturday Night Live skits. That's a celebrity Jeopardy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there's not much of a character here, but I mean, I think that's what, one of the things that's most interesting in, in watching this movie and going back and even looking at the history of, uh, you know, this whole era is how he was the biggest movie star in the world. Uh, and yes. like, there was no contest with him. And there were obviously more respected actors out there. You know, he wasn't like at a Robert De Niro level or Christopher right. Walken level or anything. But 
I struggle even just in looking back to find any other movie star prior to this era who is just like just in it for the entertainment. You know, he's like dump a, a, a truckload of money on my front lawn. I'll do the movie and it'll make a hundred million dollars. You know, like it's not yeah. about the art or anything like that. He had his genre. He had his character he would play and any other big movie star prior to this, they're, they're actors who wanted to be taken seriously. And now you look at everything post this, especially now in today's day and age, I'm thinking about actors like uh, Vin Diesel or uh, The Rock or any of the Fast and Furious guys, you know? Uh, <laughs> I don't think actors like that existed prior to Burt Reynolds, where it's like his name alone was just what you came to the movie to see. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, he launched that era mm-hmm. because thanks to him... Schwarzenegger became Schwarzenegger and you know uh it was basically who was the action hero yeah who was who was the big name that you would put on the poster uh and and and, you know you you, people people like Charles Bronson was able to have a career just just being the guy with the gun in the movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) that's basically what Charles Bronson was his whole career and Chuck Norris was basically the guy roundhouse kicked you in every movie yeah so but it, it was Burt Reynolds was the first guy and you know, he did it. He did it in a way that today we see it so much where you can just put him behind a steering wheel and he's suddenly an action star. Mm-hmm. But for back then, it was like, how could he be an action star without an exploding helicopter? And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and the fisticuffs and, and whatnot. But he was he was the original. Mm-hmm. He's the one that uh, that created the mole. Uh, let's jump into the movie here just before we do. Uh, I mentioned Hal Needham, who directed this, was a stuntman, and Burt Reynolds spent half of his career making movies with this guy. Uh, Sally Field, I mean, this is, I guess she had been kind of a star, you know, the 60s, 70s, and TV and everything like that. Well, I got a little, I got a little something from Sally, about Sally Field. Oh, go for uh, it. Yeah, she had just done the movie Sybil, which is, uh, 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 a movie about a, a, a woman with uh, multiple personalities. Mm. And, she got a lot of critical acclaim for playing playing the role, but because of the role, people perceived her as not the pretty girl. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> not 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 in that mold. You know, not in that light. So, she she actually did this movie as a career move because Burt Reynolds wasn't just an action star, not just a blockbuster, but he was you know the sex symbol of the era. Yeah. So he, she figured if she got paired up with the sex symbol, <laughs> that she would it would change people's perception of her, and she would get those roles. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> it's just interesting <laughs> that this was her, her her motivation to to do a movie where where she admits like when she showed up uh, to sign on for the movie, there was no script at, at that time. <laughs> so uh, she's like after after. Basically, uh, I forget what magazine it was that that called her ugly. After she got called ugly, she's like, you know, she's not going to, you know, beggars can't be choosers. So she just went along with it. (laughs) Burt Reynolds is involved. That's good enough for her. (laughs) I mean, that's basically the equivalent of nowadays. Somebody, somebody's told her, an actress is told, you know, you're just not attractive enough. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to cast a movie with any of the Chris's, any of the Ryan's, and then I'll be a (laughs) sex symbol too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
uh, I mean, her career exploded after this too. So as you mentioned, she had some critical acclaim and everything and she had been famous, but you know, not really at movie star level. And now Sally Field as well, legend, if you could owe that to what would have happened if she hadn't gone out for Smokey and the Bandit and, you know, hadn't paired up with Burt Reynolds, what would have happened to her career? They love me. They really yeah. love me. <laughs> <laughs> Even if I'm not pretty enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, only other actor to really, well, you mentioned Jackie Gleason. I mean, there's a legend and probably something else that helped this movie too. You know, this low budget movie. Let's get the guy from the honeymooners out there. I mean, the honeymooners, not exactly in its hated, but everybody knows the honeymooners. It's one of the most famous shows of all time. Uh, do you have any, uh, information on how he got cast in this movie? Because I would feel like, Unless he was one of these guys who was really strapped for cash at the time, like how does a Hollywood icon get roped into? Let's let you be the dopey villain <laughs> in this <laughs> slightly cheesy car racing movie. Uh, well, it wasn't Jackie Gleason was not the original person cast for for Buford T. Justice, um, and Burt Reynolds didn't like who was cast. I'm, I'm I. I I know the last the, the last name, but I don't remember the whole name, so I don't want to kind of butcher the guy. Broom, something Broom. But anyways, uh, Burt Reynolds didn't like the guy. He was too serious. He was a serious actor. Mm. So it was Burt Reynolds that kind of pulled the the old, you know, he's the movie star, so he's gonna he's gonna pull rank here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, he he was the one who pulled Jackie Gleason in. So he and Jackie Gleason were friends, and they were supposed to have a lot more scenes together. And it, again, it was Burt Reynolds pulling that. He's the star here. He's the executive. And he had scenes cut where, uh, it was, you know, that they had done together because they, I guess in his mind, it was more special if they had fewer scenes together. They were supposed to be, you know, one was supposed to be chasing the other. Mm-hmm. And, and the other anecdote is just to show you how this was like a domino effect. Jackie Gleason was supposed to be the only one in his car. And he refused to do it. He's like, he needs somebody to play off of. So the character of Junior was created after the script and as production was beginning. <laughs> so <laughs> this is why Junior has barely any lines. <laughs> there was nothing written in the script for him. <laughs> Half of his role, and, and this was one of the best gags in the whole movie that goes on for probably 20 minutes of the movie. Half of Junior's role is holding on his dad's hat <laughs> As they're speeding at a you know uh, eighty miles an hour down the highway. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know what? He plays the role so well. I lost my hat, Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess the other actor in this, or actor uh, Jerry Reed, who plays Cletus, the uh, the, the truck driver in this, uh, also a singer, I guess primarily a singer and he does the or i guess most of the songs in this movie um i thought he was decent in the role for what it was but what i'm really impressed with is i have a disdain for country music like hate hate <laughs> hate country music my wife isn't like a huge country fan but every once in a while she'll like try to put on a country song uh oh. she, we were driving home today and she opened up the glove box and there was some country Michelle Wright or something like that she bought like a, a dollar bin and put in the glove box and listen to it when I'm not in the car and she's like you know if you're not careful I'll put it in Michelle Wright I'm like don't you dare <laughs> like I hate country music and I heard this song I guess the main song the first time uh, Eastbound and Down and I'm yes. like oh man I, am I gonna be able to sit through a movie this is the entire soundtrack halfway through the movie I'm like 
you know, bobbing my head a little bit. By the end of the movie, I'm like, I gotta download this song. Like, I'm gonna put this on like a workout playlist. I had the song stuck in my head for the last day, and I'm like, this is a fantastic song. It just needs to grow on you. Well, here's here's a little bit of tribute on the song. They uh, Jerry Reed uh, actually wrote that song overnight, last minute. Like they needed a theme for the movie. <laughs> So he's like, "All right, give me, give, uh, give me till tomorrow." And he wrote the song overnight. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it became this big, huge country hit. Um, uh, that was a big part of the success of Smoking the Bandit was that song. Mm. And there's another funny thing. Like, I- I'm willing to bet that even though he's probably a big star, I doubt he would ever have a song as big or as as well known as this. And just a last-minute throwaway thing is like, ah, here's something I wrote overnight. Like the rest of this movie, here's a script we wrote on a legal pad. Here's an actress we cast just to, you know, prove her agents wrong or whatever. And it goes on to make $300 million and become, like, the hit of his career. Yeah, yeah. This, this is the this is the the most improbable movie. It should have mm-hmm. been a complete disaster. And it's the exact opposite. I don't think there'll ever be another story like this in Hollywood yeah. where you get a movie that that basically they do everything wrong when it comes to <laughs> the the filmmaking 101. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they do everything wrong and the movie turns out so right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's start running through some of the scenes here now. As we said, there's not much of a plot. So this is mostly going to be, hey, remember that great line? Remember this one gag? <laughs> Uh, the plot, the setup here is that uh, a semi truck gets pulled over. Now I'm I'm Canadian. I've heard that we pronounce semi or semi differently. Is it semi or semi for you? Uh, most of most. Since this is a southern movie, they pronounce it semi. Okay, semi truck. This is a southern movie. <laughs> I'll I'm pronounce from, it semi. I'm from the north. Yeah, I'm from the north, so I pronounce it your way. Okay, but. good. <laughs> So us Northerners, we're going to be a disgrace to all the Southerners who tuned in this Burt Reynolds tribute episode. <laughs> They're tuning out right now. They're saying semi. Uh, semi truck gets pulled over, and uh, they're bootlegging, whatever that is. Uh, apparently, it was a law at the time. You couldn't transport alcohol across state borders or just some states or something like that? No, no. Coors, in particular, Coors uh, cold brews their, their beer, even to this day. Mm. Um and back then, beer that was not pasteurized, uh, they thought had to be refrigerated around the clock mm. or, or go bad. They're, they're wrong about this, but that's what they thought. Um, and so it didn't meet the uh, the health codes of the time to, to transport it on the back of a truck because it was non-refrigerated. Ah. And so, so east of the Mississippi, it was illegal for cores to be transported there without a permit. And that permit, of course, would be if you had a refrigerated truck. So the whole plot is basically just that. We don't want to pay for a refrigerator truck, but we'll pay $80,000 for Burt Reynolds and his friend to do it. You know, I had to look up the $80,000 because that's $80,077 money. Yeah. In today's money, I believe, if I remember correctly, $336,000. What? Like that. Yeah. I could buy a refrigerator truck right now for probably 10000 <laughs> So, so we we gotta we gotta mention the characters. The characters Big Enos and Little Enos. Oh yeah, <laughs> Big Enos played by Pat McCormick, who was a very very known comedian at the time. Uh, today, most people never heard of him. But <laughs> I have back then. For back then, 
like he made all the rounds of like the Carol Burnett show and all and all that all those kinds of shows. Um, so so and little Enos, I don't want to use the M word, so we'll say he was a little person. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which it was comedy brilliance. <laughs> it just worked. These two guys, <laughs> they have like two scenes, but it's so memorable. Like little characters in this movie are given a chance to shine too. Yes, it was it was so 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 little Enos is basically the 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 foul mouth of the two, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, which makes it great. And the two seem to have this this ongoing relationship where they bet, they mm-hmm. do a lot of a lot of wagering, and uh, so so uh, little Enos is basically the one who's been wagering to uh, to big Enos uh, that he can't pull pull off this stunt that he's been trying to pull off with different drivers which is to get to get beer a, a beer run the cores from from Texar County in in Texas uh all the way to Atlanta Georgia in 28 hours mm. <laughs> and, um, so uh, there was this, we we then we get into the scene where we find out uh who uh, about this truck rodeo <laughs> I didn't even know, you know, to, to this day, I don't even think those things exist. Do they really exist? I've I, never was, seen one. Like, the, of yeah, course, I'm like, from the north where we say semi, so I Yeah, that's know. true, that's true. They might have truck rodeos, I don't know. <laughs> the other f- funny thing in this opening scene here is like, well, not the opening scene, but the one that introduces Bandit, uh, is the fact that they're saying I'm paying him $25 a day. Yes. <laughs> now, yeah. what would that be in today's dollars? Eighty thousand dollars. It goes from twenty-five dollars a day to eighty thousand um, dollars. But when they say, "Oh, we're paying them twenty-five dollars a day," they just hand them like a wad full of cash. It's like I think it's worth our time. Again, these guys are just throwing around money. Like <laughs> a refrigerator truck costs you how much money? <laughs> Seriously? Well, this is seventy-seven. Who knows if there were very few of those back then? Oh yeah, <laughs> it's probably like the space shuttle back then. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it probably was. <laughs> So, uh, so, so bandit, <laughs> so bandit is basically lying in a in a hammock where he with signs around him, so telling you that you can come take pictures with them, yeah, <laughs> get autographs. But he's lying in a hammock. <laughs> <laughs> that, that setup just kills me. <laughs> and it's Burt Reynolds, like his his cockiness that sells it too. <laughs> he's like. I'm totally worth this. I'm worth it, everybody. <laughs> you know, the crazy part is, even now, I could pick, kind of picture this like not being a smoking abandoned movie, this being like a Comic Con where I yeah. can go to Reynolds <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> Well, this was him doing an autograph signing for one of his Gator movies. <laughs> and they just said, roll the camera. <laughs> but, oh, my God. Like, his introduction to this movie is basically. They're like, we, well, we need to get this across the state lines or whatever, uh, so we'll pay you. And he just starts bargaining, and they're handing – again, they're just throwing away cash here when he's like, oh, I'm going to need uh, uh, a car. And they're like, here's some money. I'm going to need a speedy car. And they hand him some more money. Speedier than that. <laughs> just keep handing him money. <laughs> so then he goes to get uh, Uncle Cletus here. Um who... Oh my gosh! That set up the the, the Cletus character. See, this is this is what we were talking about. How they didn't really need the script. It all had yeah. to do with the characters. <laughs> the, the setup where he is basically kids coming out of I don't know where out of <laughs> so many kids. Like how many kids does this guy have? Like eight or nine? I don't know. 
And in in true redneck fashion too, when Bandit's in there, basically tell him this is what we got to do. He's trying trying to get dressed. Now he's got a t-shirt on, and he puts another shirt on over that, and proceeds to apply his deodorant on the outside of the shirt. <laughs> and it's just such a throwaway moment. They're like they're not drawing any attention to it, and the characters aren't responding in any way. It's just like, no, nah, this is what this guy would do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was great. That was a great catch. Um, and uh, what's, what's also great is that that basically they set up within the scene is that they 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 know each other from just getting in trouble together. Yeah, like this is this is what they do together. They get in trouble for money. Mm-hmm. So so uh, yeah, they they <clears throat> even though. They understood that what they were being asked to do had never been done before, which is the theme. It's constantly the theme in this movie. Mm-hmm. They're going to do what ain't never been done before. <laughs> it was said can never be done. So- <laughs> well, and like, it seems like such a simple premise. This is jumping ahead a lot, but a lot of what this movie is about, it's about these guys becoming a legend just through CB radio talk. They're like, hey, yes. there's these guys, and they got all the police chasing them, and let's help them. Like, everybody's helping them, which really, if you think about it, I'm like, the police are doing their job in this movie. <laughs> this is just uh, aiding and abetting two criminals, um, which became a genre of its own uh, with Dukes of Hazard and everything that would follow this. But, like, they take on this mythical status over the course of 48 hours or whatever in this movie, but I mean, that's that's kind of like twenty eight, twenty eight hours. 28. Yeah, <laughs> they don't even have a chance to sleep in this movie. But that's kind of no. like what you're saying. Like it's all about this has never been done before, and it seems like such a simple plot. But like simpler time, nineteen seventy seven. You know, this yes. would be a big deal. I mean, uh, well, I guess even today. I mean, how this is probably even harder today. How are you gonna you know dodge the police when you got GPS in your car and uh, helicopters and Google Earth and everything else? Well, I just have to say, Burt Reynolds must have a photographic memory in this movie, The Bandit. Yeah. Uh, Bo Darver, The Bandit, because he didn't need GPS to know his way around like six states. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He must have a photographic memory. I was like, how did he not get lost? (laughs) He's like driving through the woods, and he's like, oh, okay, there's a road up there. All right, I'll just take the right. I'll go about two miles, take another left, and then I'll be right back on Cletus's tail. Like, how does he know these things? (laughs) Yeah. But the geography uh, as well, this is one of the things I read, the geography is apparently very accurate in this movie where there's still to this day people who do the bandit run where it's like a bunch of cars, a bunch of people will just start at uh, wherever Texas and they will follow this exact route. And it's like, this isn't something where they just said, okay, we're going to have a scene and we need a road that looks like this and now we need one that's by a river. They map this movie out and it is an accurate run from Texas to Georgia. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and from what I understand, that Coors Warehouse is still there. <laughs> <laughs> like, it it was not just some, they didn't just go to some, some like, like auto mechanic jobs, and uh, auto mechanic uh, lot or whatever, and then just put a bunch of beer boxes there mm-hmm. and say, all right, we'll call that a warehouse. Like, they actually went to one. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, they weren't going to build a set on $3 million or whatever. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. But... <laughs> You know another funny thing here is like when they when they leave for this, we see this speedier car. It's, you got all the money for it, and it's it's a it's a Trans Am. I mean, this thing's gonna stick out, you know, <laughs> driving. Um, and what I find hilarious is they drive this thing in the dark, and it's supposed to be inconspicuous, like nobody's gonna catch us. 
but you have the largest cowboy hat I've ever seen, and then you have the <laughs> brightest red shirt with the biggest mass of chest hair popping out of this thing. There is no way that Ben is not getting noticed everywhere he goes, especially with the customized plates. When they're trying to evade police, this entire purpose is to evade police, he gets customized plates that says Bandit 1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 oh, my favorite part of the car is the T-top, which is always off in this movie. It's never – they never put it on. It's all, the T-top and then the big Firebird on the hood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, you got to spot uh, this thing from space. Let's be honest, especially with Burt Reynolds <laughs> yeah. driving it. Which, since we're talking about driving, uh, this is where I think the next part of the, the movie where uh, he's, they're on the road – and we get Sally Fields in a in a in a in a wedding dress, mm-hmm. just in the middle of the road, and he's forced to uh to basically uh pull over or not even pull over, he just spins out yeah. to stop because you know it's 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 a it's one of those movies where you know every, we got to burn rubber every opportunity. <laughs> so he spins out and um she jumps in the car. He thinks nothing of it really, like oh okay, <laughs> he's just gonna roll with it. <laughs> it- that's the other funny thing. Like, we mentioned Sally Field's character being introduced here. Very little backstory is given with her. I mean, we, we, we get it throughout the course of this movie, but it basically is just a, a bride on the side of the road. And that's one of the little quirky things that in this movie gives it, like, so much energy because they don't stop to explain everything as well. I mean, the scene where she explains her backstory, she's undressing and dressing herself in the front seat, covered completely by the wedding dress, as Bandit's barely even listening to her, just holding the radio up so Cletus can listen to her ramble on about nothing. So they give her entire backstory, but nobody in the audience is even told you're supposed to pay attention to this. Oh, what's great about the setup for Sally Field is like our first look at her, she's in a wedding dress in the middle of the road. Her car, which says just married, is is broken down on the side of the road. <laughs> and she has that desperate look like she's trying to get out of there. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like as a viewer, you, it, it's like you automatically put two and two together and know, oh my gosh, this woman just ditched her wedding. Like, yeah. <laughs> you no, know, and then it gets confirmed as she's as she's taking off the wedding dress. And what 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 was that? Like maybe three minutes of the movie? Yeah, like where you get yeah. her whole backstory. And I don't remember any of what she was saying. <laughs> Whoa! And and and, and then. To, just to make it even better, like when when we get the introduction of 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 uh, Sheriff T. Buford pulling up to that car, oh, that broken yeah. down car, like we automatically know when he's sitting next to him, we see his son dressed, you know, dressed up for a wedding. So without hearing a word, we know, oh, <laughs> it was this guy she ditched, and she's the, he's the son of the sheriff. Uh oh, and then the music that they put. Yeah, it's like the Imperial March when he's introducing this movie. <laughs> it was—it's like you know he's a bad dude just from the music, like, and, and then his actions. Like that was my favorite, my favorite introduction out of all the ones we talked about. Mm-hmm. He has—he has these guys that were trying to strip the car, like basically rob the car. Mm-hmm. He has them all, all of them are scared, like they won't even—they—he they, doesn't even have to tell them to put their hands in the hood. They just do it, oh. and then he. Then he whacks one in the butt with a kick. And he goes, that is an attention getter. (laughs) (laughs) To make it better, I'm just going to quote this line here. Right as he's leaving and he has them with their hands on the car, he says, don't go home. He's like, keep your hands on the car. Don't go home. 
or eat or play with yourself. <laughs> then he's like, uh, I, I, something about, I wouldn't want you uh, making a mess on my highway, which is like, that's pretty racy for 1977. <laughs> Um, you can think about it. Yeah, you can think about it. Do. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> I wouldn't like a mess on my highway. Um, a couple of the lines I want to go through here, just because I, I I basically have like a half page of one-liners oh, here. Okay. Yeah. When uh, they're picking up the, the beer and Cletus asks him, can you drive a forklift? He goes, I could drive any forking thing around. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, this, uh, one of those lines of dialogue where I actually wrote it down because it is so clever. It sounds so great coming to these characters' mouths. I'm not entirely sure what they're saying. When she's trying to change her shoes, and he's like, what's that? He goes, these are shoes, these are legs. And he's like, what are you going to do with them? She goes, the shoes are the legs. And then he goes, last time I saw legs like that, they had uh, they had something tied to them? What is that? <laughs> they, I, Whatever it is, he said they had something tied to them. Again, I had no idea what he's talking about. And then she starts talking about I'm a professional. Oh, oh, oh he's calling. The last time I saw legs like that, they had, a, yeah, it was something. I forget what was the exact word, but he was basically saying it was one of those, uh, one of those uh, 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 toe tags. Oh, uh, which, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, okay, now he's I'm calling. starting to get it. But again, yeah, I didn't, it, you don't need to get the joke. You like it just sounds funny coming out of their mouths. Um, she talks about being a professional here uh, because she's talking about her legs, and he goes. Uh, uh, shouldn't oh. be wearing, shouldn't be dressed in white then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then she says, oh no, I'm a dancer. And, uh, he, he mentions something about her calves and he says, cowboys love fat calves. She goes, these aren't fat. He goes, they're fatter than mine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like a line you'd never be able to get away with today, but it's not done in a malicious way. It's just, it's banter back and forth and it's hilarious watching these characters interact. It, it, it is hilarious. And, they they have so much life thanks to the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like there 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 is not a single generic character in this movie. No, even the background characters. Yeah, they all have some some story to them. Uh, even the people on the CB, like they're so different that you can uh, you can identify each person. You can uh, uh not to get too far ahead, but you can identify like the uh the the person uh uh who was at the choke and puke. Yeah. The bikers who pick the fight. Yes. Uh, the teenagers yes. who do the little blocking later on. Yes, you could everybody everybody had a specific look, the specific character, and somehow within the course of dialogue, you get enough backstory of each of each person. Like you mentioned the teenager who worked at the choke and puke where the all the all the other teenagers were at. Mm-hmm. Like they clearly knew each other. And they had done this act before. Yeah. And it's all within that 30 seconds or 60 seconds of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get and so much in such little time in this movie. You do, you do. It's like you're introduced to this entire universe. And it's like each character could almost have like a half hour on them. <laughs> they, 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 each, each one is a specific character. Uh, it, it's it's a, it's a amazing and... And to think, like, this was done without basically a script. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was like... probably everybody was improvising in this movie. Yes, yes. There was there was some things written, but most of it was improvised. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sally Field's gone on record multiple multiple times uh, saying that, that it was mostly improvised. Oh, uh, and he... 
especially Jackie Gleason, who's a genius. Here's here's one section that's like I would love to think that somebody was smart enough to write these lines, but I mean, if if I tried to write dialogue this funny, it would probably take me a year and a half. Um, <laughs> I doubt this movie was in production a year and a half, so this had to be improvised or something. But uh, when She's mentioning it in the car. You've got a great profile. And he goes, yeah, I do, especially from the side, which <laughs> that is a profile, which is what the funny part is. And then they just keep going. Like, this is why I think that some of this is improv, because that's just a punchline, and then you move on from there. And then she goes, well, we finally agree on something. We both, or he says, we finally agree on something. We both like half of my face. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier that this Burt Reynolds just being Burt Reynolds. Yeah, exactly. And that's a moment where he's just being Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Which in my opinion, kind of gives away that it's improvised because he's just being himself. He's not mm-hmm. being a character. Uh, but we get yeah. w- one more thing here to comment on. The the He said, I saw a cop taking a 10-100 by the side of the road there, and it's better than a 10-200, which, think about it, you'll get it if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I think this is where the first car chase starts in the movie, if I'm right? Y- yes, oh, Between yes. Buford uh, and Bandit. Oh. Uh, you know, you there's just so much car chase going on that to cover every single aspect of it is probably not going to be possible. Oh no! But but some of the highlights, some of the highlights, my like my favorite highlight was was when uh, Buford's car loses its top, where where it yeah. gets the yeah it goes underneath <laughs> some sort of uh some sort of uh, a trailer a truck, or something a trailer truck yeah with, that with some big brick construction on it on the top of it, um and they lose the top and of course Junior goes. We lost our top, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! And when he loses his hat, and he says, well, "I lost my hat, Daddy," he goes, "I wish your head was in it." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is only topped later on when his son tries to hold on to the car door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's where the line oh. about the mama comes out later on. Yeah, yeah. He goes, "There's no way that you could be from my loin." <laughs> When I get back home, I'm going to punch your mama dead in the mouth. <laughs> I get another line. You would never get away with that today. It's not <laughs> taking away how funny it is coming out of these actors' mouths. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> so, so we mentioned this movie is basically a beer run, but it's yeah. also basically one massive 90-minute car yeah. chase. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a few breaks here and there to pick up cheeseburgers. <laughs> yeah, and, and for and for Fred to take a swim. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the other funny thing is, forget about Fred, the, the, that was the dog, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, okay. I noticed that every single cop car in this movie that, that a chase ends in, ends up in a body of water. You have cop cars ending up in a lake, in a river. You have bikes ending up in a river. There's something with, if we need to end it, somebody has to drive into a river because that's the only logical way that a car chase is going to end. Well, don't forget that the uh, the motorcycle cop was just in a puddle. No, <laughs> a muddy puddle that he was yeah, probably sinking into. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder if that, that was some inside joke or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's what uh, – this is some trivia for you. Is Sally Field's character's name ever actually spoken in this movie? Because she asks for her CB handle, which I'll give the line here because there was another one, this one that really made me laugh. Um when it was he um he says he's gonna call her frog he goes you're always hopping around you're kind of cute like a frog i want to jump you <laughs> her, yeah. is her, her name, name given she's just frog once. through the whole movie her her name gets mentioned once just like the bandit's whole name 
gets mentioned once. Mm. We, in fact, it doesn't get named. His whole name doesn't get named all at once. We find out his name is Bo when he introduces himself and that he says that that bandit is his handle, and that's when they get into the conversation of the handle. Mm. We find out his last name is Darvel at the end of the movie when he says it's Bandit Darvel when he's oh, talking yeah. uh, the, the the sheriff. And we find out once that Frog's name is Carrie when she entered when he asks her, "Do you have a name?" He says, "I'm Carrie." That's it. We never get her last name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, she's just Frog for the rest of the movie. <laughs> exactly, she's Frog, <laughs> and, uh, and and Cletus is probably the one guy besides Sheriff T. Uh, uh, Buford T. Justice who gets their name <laughs> like mentioned <laughs> a lot. <laughs> um. One other thing I want to mention here with uh, one of the early car chases that I thought was great, and this is probably uh, you know, post, obviously, Live and Let Die and Man with the Golden Gun. I mean, this is a huge vehicle stunt, and this is where having the director that, that came from a stunt background comes in handy. When the bridge is out, I mean, this is oh. like speed before speed. And if you're coming off of Live and Let Die where you jump a boat over a road or Man with the Golden Gun where you have a car jumping over a river, but then flipping. I mean, obviously those are more elaborate stunts, but there's something about the distance and the fact that you see this in one shot where you're like, they did this for real, where they jump over an entire river. I don't even know what the distance is for that, but like that must've come close to like world record distance for a car jump. And they're doing it over a body of water. Yes. They, uh, they, uh, the, uh, the, the, the movie asked Pontiac for, for six of these Trans Ams. They were they only received four. They wrecked three of them, and the the uh, the fourth one, the engine blew out. So they had to finish the movie with another car pushing the Trans Am to get the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> the scenes in. And with the Sheriff T. Buford's car, they only had two of those. So it was legit. Like the the at the end of the movie when we see that that car all messed up the way it was, it mm-hmm. was legit. Like it wasn't like they dressed it up that way. <laughs> they really did wreck the hell out of both of those. Uh, I believe those are Pontiac Bonaventures, is what the the models were. But um, you know what? Yeah. What's insane about that is that I'm watching this movie thinking how far fetched it is that Buford's car takes all of this abuse. I mean, more abuse than Bandit's car because Bandit's car is running the whole time. I mean, Buford's getting run off the road. He's getting you know the top chopped off of it. He's losing a door. I mean, it's just endless. And I'm thinking the whole time, well, this is totally implausible. They must have had, like, 16 cars. Two cars, that means that the majority of the stunts you saw this car go through, they picked the car right back up on the road and started driving it again for another take. <laughs> yes. yes. How is that even possible? Well, I guess they don't make cars like they used to, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh... It was, uh... The, the, uh... To me, with all the great stunts that the Trans Am did... That Bonaventure had the best stunts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that uh, Sheriff T. Buford card, the stuff that they put it through. I mean, even when they had it jacked up, if you remember, they were sitting there with the car jacked up on a on on a uh, on on a on a jack underneath the 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 front of the car, and then they take off and land on top of another car that was parked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and there with Junior draped over the, the hood of the car and said, Jackie, please get back in the car. <laughs> I can't imagine this movie without him having somebody to play off of, too. Yes. Now that you've mentioned that, I'm like, how would this have worked? If he's on the radio with somebody, it's not the same. No, it's not. He had to play off of somebody. Yeah, I agree. 
<laughs> I mean, we see Cletus. He he has to just play off the radio, and uh, he gets his dog there or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he, his lines are basically to the dog. Yeah, and then the rest is is him running through all that CB chatter, mm-hmm. all the all those all those. Uh, uh, I got your ten twenty or whatever the hell he said. Yeah. <laughs> And also with the whole CB talk thing, uh, we should probably just come like this, this. This is way too chaotic of a movie to just go through it scene by scene. Um, yeah. You have all these groups of scenes when they start to take on this uh, legend status and everybody wants to jump in and help them, which yeah. again is just crazy that you go back to 1977. I mean, this isn't a movie about people screwing with the police because, you know, police corruption or uh, uh, police racism or all these things that you would nowadays have in in movies. This is just, well, they're the police. We're going to screw with them. And it's just a joke to everybody. And that's hilarious because you can never do that today. But I don't question it once in the movie. And everybody is in on it. This whole movie just becomes, okay, we got a funeral procession. So the guys who are driving the hearse are like, hey, Bandit, we're going to do something. Like, they don't know him personally. Then you get yeah, the teenagers like, hey. later on. Yeah, they, well, you know, the CB was basically the internet for back then. So yeah. he was like a social media fame, you know, uh, for back then. So, so. I, even, I wrote that in my notes right near the end, especially when the teenagers come in. I'm like, it's pre-social media, social media. I'm I, I'm. Assuming you haven't seen the movie yet, but uh, uh, Jamie and I just reviewed it, uh, I think, yesterday. People can listen to it here on the Oz Network. A uh, review of the movie Peppermint with Jennifer Garner. Um, are you familiar? Or have you seen the trailers for the movie? I saw the trailer. I haven't seen the movie yet. It's a great movie. It's just a great revenge action movie. But it's similar in that movie where that movie's so much about how social media would take over if this soccer mom just started killing people. And she would de- develop this legendary status by the end of this movie. And I saw the same parallel in this, that it's through CB talk, it reaches a point when they're getting close to Georgia or wherever it was that they're they're supposed to end this run. And there's people with signs saying, go bandit, go. Like they have a crowd who's like, they're coming. And th- this was exactly like social media for the day. Yes. And there was even that one guy who, who turns to the cop that had his roadblocks set up. And he, he he tells the cop he could drive pretty good, can he? Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, he he definitely reached that legendary status as the uh, as the movie progresses, uh, and and it had to do with with basically just over the CB uh, hearing hearing the the cat and cat and mouse game that was going on between the bandit and the cops over the CB radio, mm-hmm. and yeah, it was it was. You know what it reminds me of in a little way? Uh, if you remember the whole George Orwell's... Um, uh, uh, 1984? What, what is it? No, no, the, uh, the, uh, the, the Mars Attacks. What was it called? Not Mars Attacks. Oh, uh, um, Orson Welles' um, Orson uh, World Wells, of Worlds. Yeah. World of the Worlds. Yeah. Where basically, you know, it was a radio show, and people took it seriously and believed that it was a real uh, Martian invasion. Well, this just, to me, the movie's kind of... In that way, but over the CB, where it is really a, a car chase, but it's kind of in reverse. Everybody's taking it as a game. Like yeah. They just care more about the the fame of this car chase, and they want they want to be part of it. They want to they want to say that they they took part in a bandit getting away. Yeah, it's funny because it's not just the police who get dumped on in this movie. I mean, when Cletus gets in the bar fight, which I don't uh, even remember how the bar like. How, do you remember how the bar fight starts? Uh, it's just something they, with the dog biting. 
Yeah, though, while he was on the phone with his wife, Cletus, uh, the, the, one of the, the biker gang members grabbed his dog and claimed that the dog had bit him. And uh, we, we know throughout the whole movie that the dog is pretty docile. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so it, we're, we're left to, uh, to assume that it was a lie. And um, so Cletus uh, tells me, like, he doesn't think that, that the dog bit him. He, he kind of knows that they just want to pick a fight with him. So he goes ahead and gives him what they want. He takes the first shot. Uh, and it sounds like he'd been through a few of these before. Mm-hmm. So he knows he better get, get off first or he's not going to get off. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he got off the first couple of punches, and then it was just too many of them. They jumped him. And, yeah, he they threw him out of the bar. He proceeds to leave the bar and? <laughs> and as, as the, everybody basically knows who he is that, that works there. So, so the guy pumping gas puts his dog in the, in the, in the, in the truck. And apologizes to him. The the cook gives him his burgers and tells him he's sorry. And they actually have a really touchy moment where they where they hug. It yeah. was like a, a genuine hug where it's head to head, forehead to forehead. And so Cletus, you know, pulls himself into the truck and he looks he looks ahead and he kind of laughs and chuckles and we're wondering, okay, what's so funny? And so as he pops the the truck into gear, we see that. All those bikes were parked right in front of him. And he proceeds to run over them like legit. This is not like some some CGI. There was no CGI back then. Yeah. They just they just set up some real motorcycles and they had a real truck run over these real motorcycles. And just completely destroy them. There are pieces <laughs> flying everywhere. It's almost like this movie's just intended to make people cheer, cheer. for Doing cruel things to people, which, which I love it. <laughs> but like, it's it, it, yeah, you cheer for the bad guys because the guy's name is the Bandit. Yeah, so you're cheering for an outlaw, and yeah, it's even exactly. it's a song in the theme song. He's an outlaw. <laughs> yeah, that's what's funny about this because like, obviously these biker guys, they you know probably deserve. I mean, they picked a fight with them. Did they deserve to <laughs> all lose their bikes? Maybe not, but still, you get into it because you like these characters. But it is so weird that this movie, and this is why it's so fascinating to me, this genre that came with Dukes of Hazard and everything that followed this, is because for the most part, it's just about these police officers, they're not corrupt. You know, it's not about abuses of power. It's just about, you know what, this cop's kind of a dick. I'm going to stick it to him. <laughs> well, well, uh, Buford T. Justice was out of his jurisdiction yes, for about 90% that- <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> so- That's his abuse of power. I'm trying to avenge this woman humiliating my son, but I'm out of yeah. my jurisdiction, but I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> you know what? I don't even think so. He cares about the son being humiliated. It yeah. was himself. He, he, he invited, he, he, he paid for the wedding. He invited everyone to the wedding of the town. And basically, he was made to look like a fool, and he was pissed. Yeah. <laughs> and he was going to drag her back to the altar and force her to marry his her son. That was his plan. So... <laughs> But, you know, I think that this movie, if you had tried to make him this terrible, corrupt police officer, I don't think the movie works. I think it's because it's lighthearted and because Buford looks at this almost more of a challenge. If this had been, well, I really want to do this because he humiliated my son or whatever, it's more like you said, his own pride because I wasted money on this wedding. But then when Bandit just starts getting away, he's like, I'm going to catch this guy because he's speeding in my county or whatever or my state. And now this is just a competition between two guys. Well, if they had well, made him this terrible police officer, I don't think this movie is as enjoyable. Well, this is one scene that pretty much cap- capitalizes Bu- Buford's vengeance here, his vendetta, where he uh, his car is already messed up, and he's he's on the side of the road where there's uh, traffic going on. 
Uh, there's like a checkpoint that, that police are using to try to capture the, the bandit. Mm-hmm. And this one cop tells me, you can't drive this on my highway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, this is a piece of garbage. <laughs> and, and at one point, Buford loses it. And he gets up out of the car. And then when he, he when he tells the bandit's resume from his point of view, uh, 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 basically he say he, 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 he attempted the murder of 12 laws. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great, though. I like guess his, his point of view. And he, he, uh, he, uh, I forget what the rest of the charges were, but they were these funny charges where you could see, like, from his point of view, this guy's like the worst criminal of all time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and we can't forget, um, the, you mentioned how they wanted more scenes with them. Would the scene, which I think is probably the best scene in the movie, would the scene between Bandit and Buford, when they actually meet up at the restaurant, would that scene have been as good if they had had other interactions in this movie? Because that was like my favorite scene of the movie. It was just, it's it's not just that there were funny moments in it, because it's basically Bandit saying... Uh, oh, what are you doing? It's like, well, I'm after this guy. It's like, oh, he sounds like, he sounds like a real outlaw. <laughs> He's just yeah. messing with him. Oh, don't worry. I'll pick up the bill here. You know, you're an officer of the law. <laughs> There's yeah. funny moments like that, but it's just these two characters seeing them face to face. It was just a completely different dynamic. Yes. Yes. I don't, I agree with you. It wouldn't have worked if they had scenes before that. Mm-hmm. That the fact that, that uh, Buford T. Justice did not realize he was talking to the bandit made the scene. Yeah, um, and the bandit <laughs> did know who Buford was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just totally made the scene. It was, uh, it, it, yeah, it was. It was probably one of the best scenes of the movie. I agree. Um, and then to follow it up, the a little bit of trivia, the way the the way that they were doing the scene when Buford leaves the leaves the choking puke mm-hmm. was that he was just supposed to walk out and get in his car and, and then have a funny look on his face, like he was like. Like maybe, like maybe he was on the. Was that him? Was that not mm-hmm. him? And Jackie Gleason completely changed the scene and did the whole toilet paper thing on the shade. Like oh was, yeah, that was totally his. <laughs> <laughs> well, like that's one of the reasons that the character works because I, I already said I don't think this would have worked if he was a villainous police officer. But you do take him seriously, like the scene where he's talking to the the guy who says you can't drive that on my highway. Like like yeah. I'm kind of scared of this guy. Like, if this cop pulls me over, like, I don't want to mess with Buford T. Justice. He's not there's just this complete buffoon. But then he gets this boobish moment where he's got an entire roll of toilet paper unraveling. And he's walked out of the restaurant. <laughs> then you're just like, you know, I can't help but laugh at this guy. Like, yes, he's kind of scary, but he's also such a boob. It's great. Yeah, well, he spends his life basically surrounded by, by people that are incompetent. And yeah. so... <laughs> And most of this movie, like all the other cops get, get taken out and he's the one cop that made it all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. So, so, so yeah, it's, it's just part of it is that he's surrounded by a lot of incompetence. And then part of it is like some of it is starting to rub off on him. Some mm-hmm. of that incompetence, but yeah, I could, you kind of get the impression that back home, like he's not to be messed with. <laughs> going back to those kids that had their hands on the hood like they, they did not want to mess with him uh one of my favorite car stunts in this movie and it's probably the simplest one because it's not you know jumping off of a cliff or over a bridge <laughs> or anything like that was uh the sequence where 
they're trying to you know find a way to to get away like well the police are chasing um bandit or whatever and there's this huge line of semis up ahead semis sorry oh yes, and, yes. Uh, they, the convoy yeah the convoy and they're of course just like the the funeral procession earlier and the teenagers later on uh they're like hey we're on your side bandit we're gonna help you here and they pull off this move where bandit gets ahead of most of them but then he gets in between two of the trucks while the police car is coming up one of the trucks swerves into the next lane so the cop has to go on the shoulder around him and then literally blocks Bandit from the line of sight. It's just such a clever scene. And <laughs> it's a perfect example of a movie like this. It's not just about, oh, that's a crazy car stunt. It's like, no, that's a clever scene, too. I just love that scene. Also, the um, one that comes up uh, later on when um, Cletus, I remember if it was right before this or after, when Cletus gets pulled over and, uh, you know, Bandit's supposed to be this. We see what Bandit's purpose is. If we haven't already said that in this movie, his purpose is just in the event that Cletus gets pulled over so that he doesn't get arrested, Bandit it's always supposed to be there to draw the cop's attention away from him. And when Cletus has actually been pulled over, so did you know why clocks are doing 96? He goes, I didn't know these trucks could do 96. He's just stalling for time. <laughs> yes. And then Bandit speeds by, and then Cletus is like, all right, see you later. The police officer just leaves. See you later. This stuff in the movie, like, you don't forget what the plot, the very simple plot of this movie is. It is still just, it's all about distractions and keeping the attention away from the beer. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, so so uh, I think the official term that they use in the movie was that Bandit was running blocker. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, he he basically draws all the attention away from the truck uh, through these chases, and when he gets pulled over uh, to come by and 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 just uh, agitate the cops to get him to chase. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it it it, it works uh, through throughout most of the movie uh, that we see that, and then. The bandit's part also of the bandit's job is to get away from the cops so that so that he can continue doing his job in the next state. Yeah. Since they're crossing several states here. And uh so that's when we get those maneuvers like you mentioned of the convoy and uh and the uh the funeral procession and the uh, the kids at the at the choking puke and he had all these different people helping him that you know, if you look at it, that's Without that help, you would have been caught like many times over. Yeah, yeah, and like I didn't quite understand what the purpose of this movie was, but it's completely logical if you think about it. Um, the way this all ends is that they basically develop such a huge tale after all this, and then when the helicopter comes in, the bandit basically says, "You know what? We're not making out of this." And I don't know at what point they came up with a plan where they're just like, "Well, let's drive into this." truck rodeo as you said that only exists in the south um (laughs) and when they get in there first i'm thinking first there's no way that bandit's car is not is going to go unnoticed we have a helicopter there but this trailer i think they even mentioned at the beginning of this movie about this trailer has like this weird mural paint on the side of it like how is this trailer going to go unnoticed when the police get in there uh but they pull in they meet up with uh big and little enos and uh they basically say, hey, okay, here's your delivery. You know, we're 10 minutes ahead of schedule, 8 minutes ahead of schedule, I think is what it was. And uh, they're like, well, where's our money? And they said, well, well how about double or nothing? <laughs> they, they, this is the wager thing where they ask them, what is it, to pick up like clam chowder from Boston or something? Yes, clam chowder from Boston <laughs> in 18 hours. And they're in Georgia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
which I'm thinking at this point, I'm like, oh, come on. I just want to see them get the money. But the way the bandit just plays it off, he's, I don't know if it's the whole point of the movie is that he's like, well, I'm going to get arrested if I don't just, I'll just let it slide. I'll, I'll trust him. He's good for the money. But then they just leave. And then we have this last scene uh, where. Well, 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 before you get to the last scene, they didn't let him slide. Uh, Frog was the first was like, you're on. And then Cletus kind of looked at Bandit like, you know, like, no, no, don't do it. And then Bandit was like, you're on. And then Cletus jumps in the back seat, uh, and, and, and he's like, I'm divorced now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and they left in, in Big Enos's car, in his Cadillac. Yeah. So, so they didn't have the, the, the Trans Am to pull this move off. <laughs> so now, <laughs> we, now we know why they were willing to spend $80,000 when they could have just rented a refrigerator truck. Because they never had the eighty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, and they're just they're just caught up in this wagering. It's like their culture. They just yeah. wager on stuff. Uh, Big Enus and Little Enus. Um, so yeah, so getting to the scene that you were getting to right now, where mm-hmm. uh, they're in the back of this Cadillac and they they're about to pull away, and they see Sheriff T uh, Buford T Justice there. He's he's there, um, and so they call him up on the CB. I'll let you take it away. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, so. They're right behind him, and Buford, the way this is shot is brilliant, too. You see Buford on the radio's car, and in the background, you can see Bandit and Frog and Cletus, and they're looking over their shoulder, uh, just talking to him, and they're basically saying, you know, uh, oh, okay, if you want us, we're down the hill, and they're giving the description of the Enuses <laughs> yes, yes. when they get to the bottom of the hill. <laughs> and then he eventually says, you know what, I can't do this to you, I respect you too much. Uh, look over your left shoulder. He looks over, and there's Ben. And he says, "We're, we're off to Boston for some clam chowder." <laughs> Sorry, no hard feelings. <laughs> End of movie. Roll eastbound and down for the 18th time. That <laughs> yeah. is Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> oh wait, <laughs> Buford goes chasing after them with Junior trying to run, catch up to Buford. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wait, Daddy. Wait. <laughs> oh, yo, I gotta go back even further just because I can't leave this episode without mentioning it when they drive through the football game and oh, Buford stops and th- there's oh. the best junior line there can we stay to watch the game daddy <laughs> <laughs> this guy's just been left at the altar and he's like I want to watch the football game oh such Uh-oh. a great and then, character and, and, then, and then Buford's reaction you can stay if you want to and he, and he pulls away and, and the sun face plants on the hood um <laughs> uh, that's basically a wrap on the movie here. We probably missed a million things. If there's anything we want to add on, we'll add on here. So that's basically it for Smokey and the Bandit. Um, and, I mean, the franchise would go on for you. As you mentioned, the movie was a huge hit. Uh, second highest grossing the movie domestically that uh, year, 1977. A lot of competition. Saturday Night Fever, we didn't even mention Saturday Night Fever. There's yeah. another movie this was, that was, this was competing with. The Spy Who Loved Me came out in 1977. Uh, not just Star Wars. I mean, this whole year was huge. Uh, but this movie, I mean, it, it, we could go on all day about how it changed you know, it created a whole genre and created the whole the movie star, the modern movie star and all that. But even just on the franchise itself, I mean, three years later, they would do a sequel. Now, I've never seen the sequel. You mm. said you have. Yes. From what I understand, it's not nearly at the level of this one. I did find it amusing that not only did they bring all the characters back, but that it's basically the exact same plot, except they're transporting an elephant. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're transporting an elephant. <laughs> and, and the movie starts years later where the bandit basically blew all the money and he's a big drunk and he's a has-been 
<laughs> See, that actually so, has me intrigued. Yeah, so so this time it's Cletus that that trying to convince the bandit to get back in the game, and this mm. time it's the bandit that's in bed needing to be convinced. Oh, <laughs> so they switch places, and and Frog had left the bandit, and uh, <laughs> it's 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 a great beginning. It's it's it it, it kind of has a bunch of different role reversals uh, um, on this one. But the bandit becomes the bandit again, and uh, and Buford's the, in it too, right? And Buford's in it, and being Buford with Junior, he's still with Junior, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I think knock on this movie. This is gonna sound crazy, but it was too scripted. <laughs> <laughs> there was too much writing that went into this movie. <laughs> yes. Yes. They needed to not script this movie. <laughs> um, the third one, the third one. Now, here's an interesting story. You've seen the movie, so you can elaborate a little bit. From what I understand, the third one, Burt Reynolds wasn't happy with the second one. He didn't want to do the third, other than a cameo where he appears in it. So the third one originally was going to be Buford, just Buford. And apparently there were even teaser trailers. Everybody knows about like the famous Revenge of the Jedi trailers that came out. But right. this movie was promoted with a trailer that was Smokey is the Bandit. Uh, and the plot being that Jackie Gleason was going to be playing either dual roles or that his character was supposed to be in a Bandit type role while still being the sheriff in this. The movie tested poorly. So they did a bunch of reshoots to throw Cletus in there as a bandit and just completely yeah. rework the movie. Uh, you've seen it. Is this kind of how the movie turns out? Does it? Do you see any of like? Is it a movie where it's clear this was reshot at the last minute to change a very convoluted plot? This movie. Um, well, first of all, they they switched the Trans Am to the uh, the Night Rider Trans Am. Ah, uh, yeah, right away. The star. One of the stars of the movie is the car, and and the car <laughs> is not in the movie. Um, <laughs> and, and then yeah, Cletus was the bandit, and the only scene where um where uh Burt Reynolds comes out is when um when uh uh the bandit finally gets caught, and Cletus Cletus sitting in the car saying, "Oh, you finally caught me, Sheriff," and then it kind of blurs into not being Cletus anymore. Now is now it's uh Burt Reynolds, and he and he delivers his little a uh, few lines there. About having finally been caught, you got you got me, and then it blurs back to uh to the Cletus. So it was that sort of thing. And then no no offense to the uh, to the woman in this movie, Co Colleen Camp, I think was her name, mm -hmm. uh, the actress who was uh most famously in the movie Clue as the French maid. Oh and yeah, <laughs> yes, 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 and in uh, Game of Death in all the uh. The, the fake Bruce Lee parts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she was like a like basically a, a B movie star. <laughs> so and and, it, and she just didn't de deliver like Sally Fields. Like this is basically this movie has a lot of downgrades. Mm -hmm. Downgraded on the car, downgraded on the on on the bandit. Even though it had Cletus as the bandit, uh, down, it, it downgraded a lot. So that's what it felt like. And then also. You know, it it was a lot of, it was it was basically um, typical of of parts threes back then, where it was a rehash of part one a lot. Yeah, <laughs> you know, back then 
you know, uh, like Return of the Jedi would blow up the Death Star again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was kind of the way part threes would go. <laughs> Just do part one again. And that's what, that's what Smoking and Bandit 3 was. Um, obviously Burt Reynolds was the biggest movie star in the world, didn't need to do this sequel. This was probably around the time that, like, his star was at its highest, because he had did Cannonball Run in between these two movies here. So, we'll talk a little bit about Burt Reynolds as well. Or I guess before we do that, we gotta, I know what we're gonna be doing with this, but we gotta rate this movie. So, is this movie Buy It, Rent It, or Bin It? Smokey and the Bandit 1. Buy it and frame it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you know, it's funny, because, like I said, I wasn't sure what I was gonna I knew that this was a popular movie but you know it was from before my time uh it's not one of these movies that you know has this reputation today like you still gotta see it like the, the other action comedy this is the other thing this started the action comedy I can't think of anything yeah. would we have a lethal weapon if there was no Smokey and the Bandit good point um, I was not sure if I would just enjoy this movie, appreciate it for what it was, because I'm sort of like, oh, it's sad Burt Reynolds is gone. But, like, this movie is such a blast. I'm with you. I'm buying it. I'm framing it. Uh, I'm going to petition the studio to do a 3D version. I think that would be great. I want to <laughs> see that mustache 3D. in 3D. <laughs> yeah, we got at least an IMAX. At least that. Yeah, <laughs> let's do the IMAX treatment for Smokey and the Bandit. Uh, but if people haven't seen this movie, first, we just spoiled it for you. But uh, if you know the plot synopsis, that's all you need to know. <laughs> we didn't really spoil much. Um, wait, wait, this is from 1977. Spoiler yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're sorry 41 years later we spoiled this for the one guy waited 41 years to see the movie. <laughs> um but, uh, no, I'm totally buying this movie, too. Like, this movie is so much fun. I'm interested to watch the sequel, but I almost... I don't want to ruin the first one. Because I think this movie, it deserves this place as being a classic. And I can understand why, yeah. with as many huge movies Burt Reynolds had, why this was the one that was all, he was always most identified with. Well, I would say... I would say uh, part two is a rented, and part three is a Bennett. Yeah. So... <laughs> so so, yeah, like all I, trilogies of those days. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So I would, uh, you know, part two is worth watching, but part one is the one you want to keep. Yeah. That's the one you'll see over and over again. Um, Let's cover a little bit, because we want to do a bit of tribute to Burt Reynolds as well. That's the whole point we're doing this. Uh, other movies that he was known for, I mentioned uh, Gator was kind of like one of his breakthrough ones. The one that I saw, and I saw this, you know, after I'd been introduced to Burt Reynolds through Boogie Nights or Mystery Alaska, you know, his late 90s revival was um, Deliverance, which, wow, yeah. I mean, De- Burt Reynolds has never really been, you know, a critical darling. <laughs> he, he kind <laughs> of was, I, I see it very similar to like the career of Matthew McConaughey, which is weird, like a uh, Southern guy, tons of charisma, started out with, you know, a big critical acclaim serious dramatic movies got into just you know i'm gonna make fun movies for the money uh i'm gonna be myself i'm gonna let my charisma shine and then eventually come back to it uh but he really did start with deliverance which was like an academy award nominated movie and an incredible movie too i mean this is before Burt Reynolds was a massive movie star, he's one of three actors in this movie. Uh Ned Beatty was one of the other ones. I can't remember the third guy in it. Uh John uh, John Voight. So you have three guys who would go on to become like massive stars in the 70s. And this movie, it's not what you expect from Burt Reynolds. Yes, it is a Southern type movie. It's about three guys rafting, but it's a dark movie. It, it It's also, 
incredibly fascinating and i've seen the movie probably two or three times if burt reynolds ever made a movie that that proved he could have been a serious actor it was deliverance so the fact that we got smoking the band just shows that he really was more interested in just entertaining his fans he didn't want to do something just for the acclaim you know i agree i agree and if i could throw another movie out there from around the same era from 1974 uh deliverance was uh was 72 a couple of years later he did the longest yard oh yeah to a lot of people that is the greatest american football movie of all time mm-hmm. so yeah that was uh that's another one that uh should be on on the burt reynolds playlist and uh there there's several i, I mean this this man's uh, uh filmography it's so long so long but i'd like to get to like maybe one more like like lost gem is sharky's machine like that that is is burt reynolds being an action film star sharky's machine uh this is this is um 1981 which is an era where where basically you know you have to have the exploding helicopters and the exploding cars and and he delivers that he delivers on 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 that type of action and um yeah, so that's that's one. Um, he got a big critical acclaim. He got big critical acclaim for for the best little whorehouse in Texas. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so that that's that's a big one. My sister also, keeps. Go ahead. Go I ahead. just want to say, Sharky's Machine. Just looking this up, like I haven't seen the movie. Uh, he directed that movie too. Yes, yes, yes. He. Uh, well, yeah, he he proved in that movie that he's multifaceted, and he would go on to do that more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my sister keeps kind of poked me with, with Cannonball Run, but I think uh, we're kind of saving that one for last, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, best little whorehouse in Texas for a lot of people don't don't know. Uh, uh, it's basically like a like a, it's 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 a comedy where you know he uh, he, he basically flips his, the switch here and he's not he's not the bandit in this one he's the he's the he's the sheriff smoky. he's the smoky yeah <laughs> yeah so it, it, it's so that's a so i could see though after that long list of movies that we just named and then stroker ace on the same year here in 1983 then the asked to do smoking the bandit 3 in 83 i could kind of see why he he, he didn't want to do it yeah I mean, his his career sort of peaked, you know, around the early to mid '80s. Um, you know, a couple of the movies here, uh, like City Heat, that you know had some acclaim and still did well. But I'm by the early '90s, and again, this is uh, I mentioned the first thing I probably knew him from was as the ring announcer at WrestleMania 10. But uh, <laughs> I should say a year prior to that, when uh, as a kid I saw a trailer come out for a movie Cop and a Half. <laughs> Uh, now, this is, yeah. I guess, the lowest point of his career, maybe. Um, yeah, in the eighties, yeah, in the eighties, he peaked with Heat, and then, yeah, then, it, then it kind of, it kind of, he had, he had a he good voiceover. Out. Yeah, he had a good voiceover or, or voice work with All Dogs Go to Heaven. Yeah, but, but, yeah, when it came to the live action, he, he, he had, he had a lull there in the nineties, the and then he made the big comeback with Striptease. That was the yeah. one. That was the <laughs> yeah, one. That, and- that was like one year prior to Boogie Nights, and um, and obviously Striptease is not considered to be a great movie by any means, <laughs> but it was a major role, and this is like a couple years after Cop and a Half, which is a huge bomb of a, a kids movie. 
Yes. Uh, he was getting a major role again. And, you know, obviously following that, Boogie Nights would come out. And then we had that, like, career revival. Uh, you know, Mystery Alaska is one that I love. Uh, Canadian, I have to love anything with hockey in it. Uh, <laughs> the Crew, um, you know, uh, that's a movie he made with uh, Richard Dreyfus as well. Uh, kind of an old guy's mobster movie. And his career, I guess, through the last 15 years or so, Again, slowly started to peter out. You know, he did. Uh, well, he played Boss Hog in the Dukes of Hazard movie. Yes, that's great. Yes, that's a great one. Yeah, uh, Driven. There's one. I don't know if you ever saw Driven with Sylvester Stallone. Uh, guilty pleasure of mine. Absolutely love the movie Driven. <laughs> um, he's playing like I, I guess the. I don't know if you call him a coach. Ben would hate me if I'm talking about race car driving here, which is his passion. <laughs> like, is he the coach? What is he? Uh, <laughs> but. Um, I mean, his career obviously did drop off. What I think kind of makes this sad is that he's dropped off the face of Hollywood for the most part for the last couple of years. You know, obviously he was, he was getting up there in age, like really getting up there in age. But he was just signed on to do Quentin Tarantino's next movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And mm-hmm. I mean, Quentin Tarantino has made his career off of remaking people's careers, you know, going back to John Travolta with Pulp Fiction, Pam Greer and um, Jackie Brown. Uh, how many movies is he? He's kept Michael Madsen in business. <laughs> he did it with Kurt Russell. Uh, Quentin Tarantino prides himself on finding these great actors from the past. I don't know what the role was supposed to be, but Burt Reynolds is going to be in it. It just would have been insane if Burt Reynolds could have been this guy that he was already probably in his mid-30s by the time he became a big star, well past the age, by the time Smoking the Bandit came out or, or Gator or Longest Yard, well past the age of really breaking out in Hollywood, and somehow he managed to become the biggest movie star in the world as a middle-aged man, came back 20 years later with this huge revival with uh, Boogie Nights. How great would it have been if he could have wrapped up his career and had another revival in a Quentin Tarantino movie? I mean, it's sad that we didn't get that. Uh, I'm curious who they're going to replace him with now in this movie, but I mean, that's where he would have been uh, if we had been doing this episode a year from now. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's unfortunate, but even with all the ups and downs, he's had so much longevity considering mm. where his career started and that even though he wasn't at that level when uh, he finally passed away, he was working right up to the end. And as you mentioned, he was cast for something big before, with yeah. Tarantino before he passed. So he had longevity. Uh, it, it, there are very, very few actors in 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 Hollywood that have, has enjoyed that kind of longevity, and as I mentioned all the way back in the beginning, um, it it's gotten to the point where now his look is like a character that that people will portray as a character in a movie, like uh, yeah. like I mentioned with uh, 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 shoot, now I forget the name of that movie uh, I just mentioned earlier, uh, uh, Secret Service of uh, the the Golden Circle. Oh yeah, Kingsman. Kingsman, thank you. Kingsman, the Golden Circle. So yeah, so when you see that movie, you see that basically Burt Reynolds' look and his character as the bandit is now a character that people portray in a movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's 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 it genuinely means that he's left an indelible mark on, on the film industry that uh, few have ever left. Also, one other just observation, and you know. I don't know if I wasn't alive in the 70s, so I can't you know, completely speak <laughs> to this. But um, when you look at what movie stars were, or what what tough guys were back in the day, you know, 
John Wayne was a tough guy. Lee Marvin was a tough guy. Like these are the guys of the fifties, forties, fifties, sixties. Steve McQueen. I don't think, yeah, Steve McQueen. You know, these are like your tough guys before that. Burt Reynolds. I don't think you put him in the cat. Like he's not the type of guy where he's going to, you know, be playing. Uh, I don't know, like like uh, a general in a war movie. He's not Rambo, but he defined the tough guy of the late seventies, early eighties. I don't think we would have gotten a Harrison Ford if there hadn't been a Burt Reynolds, you know, five, ten years earlier than that. We certainly wouldn't have gotten a Tom Selleck, you know, Magnum P.I. Or uh, uh, another great comparison would be David Hasselhoff, you know, Knight Rider, very similar with the Trans Am and everything here. But that type of leading man would not have flown in 1972, 1973, you know, pre-Longest uh, Yard, pre-Deliverance, pre-Smokey and the Bandit. He redefined what the leading man was for the time, what a movie star was, and even just a tough guy. I mean, we weren't getting the Steve McQueens anymore after that. We were getting Burt Reynolds, who was just a guy, and it was almost his, like Harrison Ford, it was his attitude and it was his charisma where he would hold his own opposite somebody and not, you know, how he threw a punch or how he pulled a trigger. Yeah, he basically made it cool to be a tough guy that, has a sense of humor that's funny. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he uh, uh, thanks to him, like you you mentioned all these other, we wouldn't have got Mel Gibson, like a, oh yeah, a, a tough guy with a sense of humor. Like we'd have never got him. So yeah, I I 100 agree with you. Um, obviously it's been a week since Burt Reynolds died. Just uh, one other story I wanted to tell. One of the reasons I wanted to to do this episode, uh. You know, a there's been a lot of people talking about it, and you know, we we did cover we 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 plan these things out in advance. Uh, we have like every single week spoken for for a year, you know, with our movie recaps, TV recaps, and everything. Uh, but last year when George Romero died, it just happened to be during a period where we had no episodes going on. And here I am, I'm waiting for Ben to start on our next batch of recordings, and I'm like, oh, we got nothing to do this week. Burt Reynolds died. Let's do a Burt Reynolds tribute episode. <laughs> um, but. The thing that really pushed me to do this was I was at work and somebody had mentioned a, a rapper that died, like, uh, I guess the same day or the day after. And I'm working with a group of people who are all all young enough that we weren't alive when Smokey and the Bandit came out. You know? So <laughs> not the Burt Reynolds fan group. And yet some 26-year-old rapper dies. Everybody should know. And it's like, oh, did you hear this guy died? And it's like, no, who's that? And it's like, oh, he was just some rapper. And then somebody mentions like, oh, I thought you were going to talk about Burt Reynolds dying. And then three or four people are like, Burt Reynolds died? Like yeah. just shocked and <laughs> almost devastated. Like, that's terrible. I loved Cannonball Run. Like we'll ha- we'll talk about Cannonball Run here right on the end. <laughs> um, it's just crazy. I, I'm seeing all these young people kind of like me where it's like we weren't alive when he was out. We, we didn't even necessarily follow all of his biggest movies, but you knew who he was and he was so iconic. And if you saw him in one movie, you got the charisma. You got why he was such a big deal. Yes, yes. Um, not only was he uh, so iconic that people that uh, were too young to to have seen his movies, all his all his main movies, all the big ones in the theater, uh, still know who he is. But uh, uh, what what's great about about Burt Reynolds is that even his name, like it's like yeah. the, the name of a Hollywood superstar. Like you have to have, you can't be, you can't be. Virgilio Billy Garcia and, 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 and be an action star. You have to have that Burt Reynolds. It's got to be like a, a, like, like Mel Gibson 
probably is Mel Gibson because he's trying to mimic like Burt Reynolds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the name. So, so yeah, like Tom Cruise. Like you kidding? Like, uh, they're, they're, I'm sure that most of Hollywood, like when they try to think of a name to change your name to, like it did the first thing they come up to come up with is like, it's gotta be like a Burt Reynolds kind of name. Like it's gotta be. <laughs> well, did you ever see, and I've, there's a lot of comparisons to Matthew McConaughey, I think, and similarities with their careers, but did you ever see the movie Ed TV with Matthew McConaughey? I did not. Uh, I mean, it, Matthew McConaughey obviously being a southern guy, a guy from Texas, uh, the movie's basically him and Woody Harrelson, his brothers. For whatever reason, they're living in California. They don't explain it because they just happen to get Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. But the premise <laughs> of the movie is that he becomes the first reality star. This is like Uh-oh. pre-Survivor, <laughs> talking about your show, there's Survivor, <laughs> uh, where it's just cameras following one guy all the time. And he works at a video store, and he's just an average guy. And Matthew McConaughey's character has this obsession with Burt Reynolds. Nice. And he's trying to sell people on his video store. And he's talking about, this guy's the greatest human being who ever lived. And he even gives his full name. And I always remember, Burton Leon Reynolds. <laughs> he's so excited <laughs> to tell people. Like, it's totally true. The name just screams movie star. Um, you mentioned it. We can't forget to talk about the Cannonball Run also. Probably the only movie he had that would really rival the popularity of Smokey and the Bandit. Also very similar. That's one that I did see as a kid. And I think maybe because there's so many actors in that movie. I mean, Jackie Chan's in that movie, isn't he? Yes, he is. He's in Cannonball Run 1 and 2, I believe. Oh. And uh, um, uh, Jamie Farr, who was a very, very big comedian back then, um, uh, who, who plays who plays the Sheik perfectly. Like, it is so yeah. hilarious. And then you had a pair of Rat Pack members uh, in in a uh, Sammy Davis Jr. and uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of the other guy, but uh, they're both uh, uh, from the Rat Pack, which meant they they hung around with uh, with, uh with Dean Martin. Dean Martin, thank you, that's his name, Dean Martin. Yeah, so so yeah, they had really really big stars, and at the time at the time, uh, Farrah Fawcett was the mm-hmm. hottest thing. You know, she was like the big time actress back then, uh, most notably from Charlie's Angels. So. Yeah, it's an all-star cast based on a real race that still continues to this day, mm-hmm. which is the Cannonball this, Run. <laughs> this guy made a career off just sitting in a car. <laughs> oh, I got this great trivia for you. I got this great trivia for you. Oh, go for it. Because uh, you're a Survivor fan. Yeah. It was actually a reality show based on this movie called The Cannonball Run. What? And <laughs> Sue Hawk and, and uh, Jeff Varner were two of the racers. <laughs> you have got to get online. This was on the USA Network here in the United States. Um, and you have got to get online and see this reality show. It is worth it. It is we a have... hilarious show. Okay, two things. One, we have to put this on our random rewatch list. <laughs> We've got to get Jeff Varner or Sue Hawk on to do the episode with us. <laughs> yeah. And two... Have they ever made a second season? And if they did, please tell me you're in it. They did not make a second season. <laughs> I, I wish they had. Um, it's hard to make, it's hard to do this race because it's from coast to coast. It's mm. from uh, New York City to Redondo, California. And so to, to go across country and, and and avoid getting getting pulled over by the cops as you're trying to race <laughs> across country. <laughs> 
Come on, you just need a cowboy hat, a bright red shirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, the idea of the racers, which is also the idea in the movie, is that you you dress up as in some sort of costume and have a certain sort of vehicle that would make cops not want to pull you over. In the uh. case of Burt Reynolds, it was an ambulance. <laughs> he dressed up <laughs> as an EMT. He and Dom DeLuise were EMTs, and and, and uh, Fair Fawcett was their patient, and they had this great doctor. With this gigantic needle, <laughs> that was hilarious. And, and the whole thing was that they were they that they felt like the 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 police would not pull them over, and everybody had different ideas. Uh, uh we gotta cover the movie, the yes. reality show. <laughs> yes, yes, we have to run have the a, race, a cannonball run episode of, of yeah. Of, of <laughs> Uh, I mean, we're pretty much at the end here. Anything else you want to add? Just a final comment on Burt Reynolds, um, his legacy, uh, his, your, your fandom of Burt Reynolds, uh, favorite role, favorite movie, any of that? I will just give one last piece of trivia that is going to shock many people. He he was offered the role of Han Solo in, in Star Wars and turned it down. <laughs> <laughs> that was his only big career mistake. That was it. Everything else he did very well. That was his one career mistake. And he made Smokey and the Bandit the same year. The same year. <laughs> so even in making a movie this big, he still somehow lost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he, sad. Yeah, Kurt Russell tr- also tried out for the for the role of Han Solo and didn't get it. <laughs> he, he did not. Cindy Williams tried out for the role of Princess Leia and didn't get it. So oh, I gotta see the Burt Reynolds screen test for Han Solo. <laughs> All I'm seeing right now is Norm McDonald as Burt Reynolds doing Han Solo. <laughs> Ouch. Um, I, I'm just gonna add, I mean, like I said, I, I like Burt Reynolds, and I remember even when I saw, started watching his movies like in the late 90s, and my mom telling me, oh yeah, he was a big star or whatever. I don't think my mom was like a massive fan. Uh, but she would be like, hey, you should check out this movie. It's got that guy, Burt Reynolds, you like in it. Because I just liked the guy, regardless of not being familiar with all of his work and everything. <laughs> and I've never seen this movie. I think I did catch about 10 minutes of it on TV once, because I remembered the scene where Sally Field was in the car dancing on the windshield, or I guess her feet are on the windshield as they're right. driving. I remember that scene. But uh, I'm so glad I watched this movie now, because I think this movie is a classic, and it is something I'm definitely instantly going to go out and buy. And then uh, if I could find it, you know, in a box set with Cannibal Run, uh, then, well, we're going to have episode two coming soon to the Oz Network. <laughs> All right. Yeah. You know what? eBay. It's definitely uh, to all our fans out there. Who might be stunned that we're reviewing a movie from 1977? <laughs> it, it is. It is one of those gems that that is worth watching. It's worth watching it like the actual version and not the TV censored version. The yeah. TV oh, censored version imagine. would destroy this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like airplane. You got to watch the actual version of the movie. <laughs> um, we are gonna have a couple other older movies to come because we're getting into an anniversary month that we're going to be doing uh where which we'll start this weekend when ben arrives here in winnipeg uh he's catching a ride on a semi or semi truck or something along those lines <laughs> and he'll be here this weekend and we're going to record Greece live in person uh, uh with my wife and his girlfriend <laughs> nice. alongside 
Uh, and then we'll also get into 2001 A Space Odyssey, Woo. Last Action Hero, and oh. 1998's Godzilla. <laughs> get ready wow. for it. Wow. Wow. Matthew Some good Brokerick. movies still to come. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but this episode should tide you over until then. Uh, so I was glad to do this episode. Thank you for coming on, Billy. It was a blast having you on here. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. And uh, just wrapping this up one more time. Rest in peace, Burt Reynolds. Uh, my name is Colin, and don't go home or eat or play with yourself. You can think about it, but don't do it. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.